0: Hammer down and push your Indy car to the limit. Might be one of the most dominating performances we'll see all season long. From turbochargers to tight turns. We're covering everything that's happening in the NTT IndyCar series. when checkers in the air, and Takuma Sato will go to victory lane for the second
1: time at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He wins the 2020 Indianapolis
0: 500-mile race. Exclusive interviews with drivers, crew chiefs, and team owners discussing the IndyCar storylines that matter to you. Oh, my goodness. What an incredible race, and what an incredible champion we have on our hands. Wow. This is Brick by Brick.
1: Welcome yet again, IndyCar Nation, to Brick by Brick. I'm Jack Aroop, joined, as always, by A.J. Allmendinger. Well, missing in action one week ago as he decided that he needed some rest and relaxation, and I think, quite frankly, a bit of a escape from yours truly, A.J. Allmendinger, is with us yet again.
2: Dinger, how are you this week? I mean, it was hard to come back and, and have to do this with you, Jack. I'm not going to lie. The beach was nice. Well, you know,
1: look, <laughs> we all have
2: to, you know, put our big boy pants on and uh, just persevere. I get my big boy pants from Teen Gap, okay? I'm still I'm still not that tall, so. Wow.
1: Well, hey, you know, there's nothing wrong going to the child section. <laughs> it, it's half <laughs> Listen, the price. That's right. Uh, we uh, were treated to woulda, coulda, shoulda. I guess is the best way to put it with the running of the Firestone Grand Prix at St. Petersburg in what was supposed to be the uh, opening event and turned out to be the closing event. And let's just say Joseph Newgarden made it a battle. We visited with him last week and he he spoke really quite honestly that while the deck may have been stacked against him, he was just going to go there and do his very best. And indeed, he did. Congratulations to him.
2: Yeah, I mean as I sat there and watched the race, it it so many things were playing out and I just kept thinking back that you know this was supposed to be the opening round and and for Scott Dixon, it had to be the worst track that he could imagine having to go to to end the season. And I mean the the cold tires, guys making mistakes, I mean will power leading the race and, and has a, a quick mistake. Then Alexander Rossi, I mean, you, the, the track condition conditions look so treacherous. Trying to get the tires back up to temps and, and cleaned off look, to me, harder than I've ever seen around that place. I mean, I've never driven at St. Pete, but uh, it'll be interesting talking to Scott Dixon and, and Renus VK during the show to ask about that because it just seemed like all the drivers were struggling so much to get the tires cleaned off. There were so many mistakes. Uh, Joseph Newgarden did what he had to do. He went out there and, and got to the front, won the race. But, you know, Scott Dixon, in typical Iceman fashion, made sure that he was there at the end and was able to get his sixth championship.
1: Uh, by 16 points over Joseph Newgarden. As you alluded to our guest today, well, it's the champion. He'll be visiting with us as well as the rookie of the year who just had to start that race, AJ. And let's go back, shall we? To Texas Motor Speedway and Renus VK's debut in the NTT IndyCar series as part of Ed Carpenter Racing. And uh, shall we just say, made a rookie mistake. And then that elicited from his car owner what I would say is one of the very best lines from a car owner in motorsports when, when he just basically said, Got a little learning to do, got to do a little explaining to. Renus VK. And it, it, look, he was one of those drivers that throughout the season continued to gain experience and continued to uh, incrementally and in some cases just catapult himself right into the hunt and became a contender.
2: Yeah. I mean, let's call it what it is. He's a very young driver and he had your typical rookie season. He had some mistakes where you thought, okay, wow, he's got a lot to learn from. But I mean, you call it what it is. You start your first ever race at Texas. Like, not, of all places. Not, not the place that I would ever really want to choose starting my, my, <laughs> my IndyCar career is at Texas with limited practice, the traction compound that looked like an ice rink when they hit it. So, anyway, like he had his, his typical rookie season. But what you want to see out of a, a rookie is speed. And he had a ton of it to get that pole at the, the first harvest GP race there to finish on the podium throughout the course of the season for Ed Carpenter racing, he had a lot of speed. And as a team owner, uh, as a race team, sure, you're willing to live with the mistakes that a young rookie is going to make. If he has a lot of speed and Renus VK has shown that all year. And I think next year is going to be that much stronger.
1: And look, there was a, there was a sub And uh, for a lot of teams, a lot of people weren't aware of and a great job by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network in their pre-race referencing the fact that the IndyCar winner circle program yields approximately $1 million to the top 22 teams. And there were people like, like VK, there were people like uh, Charlie Kimball that were racing while they were maybe racing for a victory. Overall, what they were trying to do is, earn a million dollars for their team in 2021. And uh, that was fascinating in and of itself, much as you referred to, considering the fact that, you know, this was probably the very most difficult event to end the season in. And we tended to forget the first and only in 2020 street course.
2: Yeah. And I thought as, as you spoke there, that they did a great job, to describe what this program meant to these race teams. And I've been in that situation. Yeah. You know, most people, you don't know that. It's like, oh, you know, Sebastian Bourdais, Connor Daly, uh, Mark Wandretti, they're out there racing. Sure, they want to put on a a great result at the end of the season and get some momentum for next year. But that program means so much to the team. And what did I see? I think it was, what, at least 20% of that program goes to that budget, right? Meaning that 20% of that race program for the season Is because of the winners circle. Yes. So it's a race within a race. And I've been there in Cup, like, you know, battling inside the top 25 or top 20 uh, of the points. And you think, you know, your your typical fan would think, okay, you know, he finishes 20th or 21st. What's the big big deal in points? Well, for our race team, that would that was a huge deal. And we raced the final race at Homestead, I think it was 2016, just trying to finish 20th in points. We were racing one car. Out of thirty nine other cars out there, we were racing one car. We focused on that car, and same deal, we were able to get in the top twenty in points, and that was a huge bonus in money. So, what a battle! You feel bad for Marco Andretti because he put on a, a drive, just Holy like his cow. his drive. <laughs> it was like, okay, that's that's the Marco Andretti that we want to see every weekend, and he was on fire, and the strategy. It's not strategy, just the way the cautions fell. I mean, it just was so unfortunate. But at the same point, what a drive by Sebastian Bourdais to take AJ Foyt Racing, AJ Foyt Enterprises to drive them inside the top five, finish fourth. And it really shows like, okay, this is why you bring Sebastian Bourdais on top of it. Charlie Kimball finished in eighth. So, yeah, two of their both of their cars in the top 10. Yeah. Yeah big big deal for for that organization
1: well and when while you were absent yes last week we we talked a little bit with Paul Tracy about who maybe he thought was the major underachiever and uh Tony Kanan as well and you know team and they both kind of referred to AJ Foyt racing well all of a sudden and we tend to forget Larry Foyt has stepped into the breach there as his dad AJ is kind of give him more of the day-to-day uh management responsibilities and he has assembled some top flight engineers Scott Harner who, who for almost two decades you know ran the operation at Chip Ganassi Racing and and maybe just maybe those hirings and some of the uh push and shove to enter the 21st century by A.J. Foyt Racing thanks to Larry Foyt Uh, May have finally yielded some results with the Bourdais drive. Really looking forward to Bourdais being part of that team next
2: season. Yeah. And it's, you could take that little bit of momentum from St. Pete, knowing that, oh, by the way, we're going right back there in a a few months and say, okay, like, you know, this is what we can do. And it's, we live in a what can you do for me right now business. Like, we want everything right this second. But if you're AJ Floyd Enterprises, you're not, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to take, a 22nd, 23rd place race team, and all of a sudden you're going to make it a top five team just like that. It's going to take time. We've talked to Larry on the show about it. So those are baby steps. And you you don't want to get overconfident when you finish fourth and eighth, but you want to celebrate it because that's a big deal. They earned that. They weren't given that position. They earned two top 10 finishes, and that's something small you build off of and go into next season and hopefully keep making baby steps to get back to where you want to be.
1: A little bit of news in and around the uh, St. Pete finale. We finally saw the debut of uh, arguably one of the very best Australian supercar series drivers, Scott McLaughlin, who, you know, because of this change up in the schedule and thanks to COVID-19 ended up making his debut in the final race, had some learning disabilities, let's say in understanding the car. And yet, prior to the start of the race, Roger Penske announced an expansion of his team that will include Scott McLaughlin for the 2021 campaign. And uh, I just, I don't know about you, but I I just think that that's going to be a fascinating dynamic to add to the existing three car entry of willpower and Simon Pagano, And of course the race winner back there at St. P Joseph Newgarden.
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, what Scott McLaughlin has done, in the Australian Supercar Series, just, it's been phenomenal, really, over the last three years. He, he's untouchable. I mean, he just breaking records. I've had the fortunate time to, to spend a little bit of fun around him. He's a great guy. Very humble in even just dominating the championships. Just very humble being a part of that organization and having Roger Penske step in and believe in him. And you could see... Just his interview. I mean, he just got yeah. – he, he crashed out of the race, and you could see his interview. It was like the most exciting thing that he's ever done in his life. He was just like, oh, my God, like I'm part of the NTT IndyCar series. Uh, and I, I truly believe, obviously, you make that announcement before the race. It, it takes a little bit of pressure off your shoulders. Like, okay, I don't have to go out there and set the world on fire. But it is. It's to drive that car what he's been driving and jump in an car is like trying to almost learn how to walk again. And you do it at St. Pete. And he's only had really two tests, right? He had a day at Sebring and then really kind of a half day at Coda where it got cut short because of weather. He's going to be fun to watch next year. I mean, he, he, I don't want to come in and say he's going to set the world on fire, but it wouldn't shock me. He comes in and starts winning races fairly early in his career. And a lot of teams
1: announcing uh, signing of their drivers, in some cases, renewing Ray Hall Letterman Racing, uh, re signing Takuma Sato, Indy 500 champion. And uh, when we are finished with Brick by Brick, that indeed is going to be our focus on uh, tonight's IndyCar Classic as we relive Takuma Sato's second victory just about a couple of months ago at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Also, uh, as we said, VK returning to Carpenter Racing. And pretty much now we get into silly season. We know we that we
2: haven't got into that already. Well, <laughs> but my point, my
1: point is... There's going to be the silly season will be focused more on the current roster of drivers and, you know, extending contracts, renewing contracts, whatever it might be. And then when that say stage is set and it's very much like, you know, in pro football or in college football, when one coach and we've talked about it, the domino effect. But I, w- I would say and in talking to Tony Kanon last week, you've got two free agents in Kanon and Elio Castroneves. And TK tended to lean towards uh, Arrow Schmidt McLaren as being a potential home for Elio, but I- I'm going to grill you like a Fourth of July hamburger right now. The other dominant focus for Elio Castroneves seems to have moved to uh, that new shop that's being built in Ohio. That team that you are racing for in IMSA, we're talking about Meyer Shank Racing. Come on, give it up,
2: Dinger. What do you know? I'd like to uh, be the first one to announce that I, me, A.J. Almendinger, I'm not, I'm not driving that car. So <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a chance that, uh, no, I mean, truly, in talking with Mike and, you know, he's trying to figure it out, that second car, I think there's a, a really, really good chance he's going to run the 500 with it now do they do a few more races there's always potential of that but elio is a driver that they've talked to and we know elio wants to be full-time would love to be full-time back in the indycar series maybe full-time in imza although those rides are really closing up there's not a lot out there so what second best is running the indy 500 maybe a few races so there's potential there with meyer shank racing um, but once again it all comes down to sponsorship and and it all coming together wow your answer strikes me as you—you could run for political office.
1: Uh, you spoke for two minutes and told us absolutely nothing.
2: Yeah, I mean that's our next guest—that's my career, man.
1: Our next uh, guest, though, it's a time for celebration. Uh, his sixth NTT IndyCar <laughs> Championship is now in possession of the Iceman, Scott Dixon, and he joins us here on Brick by Brick right after this.
0: It's Brick by Brick with A.J. Allmendinger and Jack Aroot on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211 and the SiriusXM app. From the green flag to the checkered flag, we're discussing the hottest topics from the NTT IndyCar Series. This is Brick by Brick.
1: As we said, this edition of Brick by Brick is a, a moment of celebration. And the guy that hoisted the Vanderbilt Cup High after winning his sixth, that's right, sixth NTT IndyCar Championship, joins us now. Scott Dixon, first of all, congratulations. What a, what a great performance. You, uh, you knocked off you know back-to-back-to-back races to kick off the season. And uh, then you proceeded to lead the NTT IndyCar Championship points from start to finish. How do, how do, you, ma- how do you rank this championship drive? To uh, your previous five,
3: I don't know. I think this one was definitely the most stressful. I've never, I've never led from start to finish, and and uh, we we had some pretty major bleeding going on towards the end, and it was it was not looking so good. So it's uh yeah, it was it was an interesting year, I think, for all of us, right? And you know, I think with uh, the start, we get to St. Pete, we're all prepped, we've done you know uh, preseason testing, uh, ready to go, and then we're all you know, hum- you know hopping on a plane and, and heading back uh, home on on the Friday before we even got on track. So. I think it was more the unknowns that you didn't have for maybe six or eight weeks, you know, through the season uh, at the start. And then you hear, you know, the Indy 500 might get canceled and, you know, are people going to have jobs. So are we going to be racing this year at all? Um, you know, honestly, I think a big thank you to, to NASCAR, you know, they kind of paved the way of getting back to the track and, and, you know, setting the protocols and, and enabling, I think a lot of, you know, sports entities around the world uh, to kind of give it the okay to, to make it happen. So, yeah, it was uh it was a stressful year. Fantastic start for the team, the first four races. know, yeah, it was great to see Felix get his first win uh, at Red America and and uh, it was a huge team effort, man. It was it was fantastic. Scott,
2: do you ever just get tired of hoisting championship trophies? <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, it feels good, man. It feels good. I wish I wish they could take the top off that one, you know. You could put some beer or champagne in there, you could drink out of it. That would that would probably make it a little bit better. Maybe we can change that for the next few years. But no, it's uh you know, man, we're in the business of winning. You, you, you're, you're still, uh, you know, kicking, kicking the butt and taking names, man. So it's, uh, that's, that's what makes it fun. You know, is, is having all the stress and all these adversities, and then being able to, you know, pick up the trophy. So there we go.
2: You know, we talked about it uh, leading up to the race. Usually, that you know, the championship would finish in Sonoma or Laguna Seca. Uh, last year you know, with the the championship ending at St. Pete and knowing that you had to go out there and uh, you still had to have a solid run, especially if Joseph was going to go out there and, and have a chance to win the race. I mean, was that maybe the most stressful race you've had to ever to clinch a championship? Because it just seemed like watching the restarts and you guys trying to get the tires warm or clean the tires off. I mean, it just looked like a handful. So was it the most challenging, like clincher you've ever had?
3: yeah probably i think i think the craziest clinch was the the 2015 over montoya with the top the tiebreaker right we had to get every bonus point everything and you know we we tied and won on a you know on the tiebreaker so you know but but this one i think um it was just stressful in the fact that you know we had such a big lead at one point we had, had a 117 point lead and then and then you see it kind of you know taking away and taking away and then uh I just didn't want to be on that receiving end of another statistic of where it got snatched away. And, and, and it becomes, you know, quite apparent. And especially, you know, to your point, uh, I was hoping St. Pete was going to be much like the year previous where it kind of, you know, there was a couple of cautions, nothing really. I think there was a few engines blown and, and then, you know, the race just continued on and, and it was a, a bit of a bore in some ways because it, it was, you know, nothing really going on. And that's what I was hoping for, obviously. But uh, when it came down to the, the first caution, and then just feeling how hard it was to get temperature in the tire because the pace car was going so slow. Like I, I, I think IndyCar were doing it on purpose just to make sure that, you know, the race didn't finish too quickly and we lost a bunch of laps and things like that. But it actually make it, made it a lot harder to, to get going. You know, I've never used first gear so much uh, wow. on a street course, you know, in, in those situations, like turn, turn two and turn three, you know, you're normally like third, fourth gear. It's pretty, pretty fast, man. You know, I was back to first gear in turn two. And it was, uh, it was complete mayhem, but uh, I was just, I didn't really think we had it done until I came out of the last corner on the last lap. And, you know, I'm like, at least we can coast from here. We're going to be fine. But yeah, it was, it was nuts.
1: Continuing to celebrate with the uh, 2020 NTT IndyCar champion, Scott Dixon here on Brick by Brick. Um, Scott, I want to go back because it's look, there's a generation of IndyCar fans these days that don't know some of the backstory on, on, the biggest gamble that you took when you syndicated yourself in order to fulfill your dream—share it with us.
3: Well, it wasn't really a, a gamble in my in my eyes. It was <laughs> a gamble
1: for for
3: a lot of other people that uh, had to shell out a bunch of money. But no, it was uh, it was actually you know my dad tried to finance for as long as we could, and it was basically clear I think once maybe '96 once we got to Australia, and then then you know we we were toast. But um he and, uh, and a few friends came up with the idea of, of, you know, basically uh, syndicating it and then going out and, you know, trying to raise, raise money. And then that formed, uh, I think it was called Scott Dixon Motorsports. And I think there was about 15 investors 14 or 15 investors that, uh, that actually kicked it off. And uh, yeah, there were some, some interesting characters in there. Once, uh, once, I, once, once I won the championship in 2003, you know, they were like, okay, so it's probably time you, you buy us, buy us out. And uh, most of them were, were, were just in it for the experience. And, you know, obviously they were gonna get, um, you know, money plus, plus more, uh, or their investment plus, uh, plus a little bit extra. But uh, there was definitely a couple that were that were pretty uh, tough to deal with. But, you know, thanks to obviously, you know, Peter Johnson was one of the main ones, my dad. And, and then uh, I think Giltrap, a lot of people know Giltrap around the world just for, he helps a lot of Kiwis, but also in, you know, sailing and all kinds of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're a fantastic family. Uh, back home, home in New Zealand, that that definitely uh, motorsport renowned, you know, even with Hartley and Evans and you know uh, Bamber and, and a bunch of guys, you know, and then even in Australia with Shane van Gisbergen and, and people like that. So it's, uh, yeah, it was cool. It was cool to finally get them, you know, paid back over. I think it was over a two or three year period. But you know, Justin Wilson was very similar in, in that situation. It kind of became a little bit more of a norm, I think, once right. we'd done it uh, back in the early days.
1: AJ, uh, did you ever syndicate yourself? <laughs>
2: No, I could never get it. I could never get anybody to invest. I just kept like, "Hey, anybody? No, no, we're not. No, you don't think so? All right, all right." It makes me sad, but that's fine. Uh, no, I mean it's it's crazy because I was teamed up with with Justin Wilson, and that was one of my one of my best friends, and learned so much from him. And I used to always talk to him about going in that direction of of basically saying, "Okay, I'm I'm laying it on the line. People invest in me, and and I hope." it takes off and you get your money back, but you know, there's no guarantees. So I mean, Scott for you is, this is, I guess this is a good problem to have. Is it right back to business or, I mean, do you take some time to allow yourself to celebrate it with you and your wife and your, your girls and just your family in general, or is it like, Hey, all right, that was great. Let's celebrate a little bit. And now let's get back to business or are you running (sighs) Rolex 24? Are you going to get ready for that?
3: Yeah. Well, I hope I'm doing that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I haven't really, agreed to anything kind of you're doing it right
2: i think i'm doing you guys, it yeah. you guys you guys got a spare seat over there maybe i, th- I think we do actually we might yeah. we, we'll probably have one extra seat yeah it's the right uh, the right engine your manufacturer would be cool
3: but um yeah I, I no the the celebration this year was pretty lame man i feel like as you get older the the celebrations just uh i don't know i i got done <laughs> yeah. i got done with media at like i don't know 8 30, 9 o'clock and then uh had a, cup, a couple couple glasses of wine uh taco bell my favorite and, uh, I think I was in bed by about 1130 and that, that was it. But, um, yeah, I remember back in the days, man, the early 2000s, those, those were some pretty epic celebrations. <laughs> I didn't really remember the nights that much, but, uh, you know, I, I, got told a lot of, of what went on, but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I guess a lot more family time. It was great to have Emma and uh, the girls. It was a bummer not to have kid here. Uh, he doesn't, he's not a, a great traveler at the moment. He's, he's a busy boy and, and, and uh, doesn't do well on planes at the minute. So hopefully uh, hopefully we can win another championship to have some photos with him. But, uh, yeah, it, it feels good. But we kick off. I think we're testing at the Speedway tomorrow, Alabama next week, uh, then a week off, and then we test in Laguna Seca, then we got Sebring 12-hour. And then I'm sure uh, testing for Daytona is going to kick off probably in December, too. So we'll have to see where it goes, man. you Plus You got to look
1: at this, AJ, how far Scott Dixon has come. His first championship, other people had to tell him about the celebration. (laughs) His last championship he ended up celebrating at chuck e cheese
2: yeah well i get that and you in the there's rumors that you can't at times you can't be at taco bell too late because you can oh, get, yeah. get robbed but uh,
3: that was uh and, and they closed that place down i guess i don't know you guys keep to go in we can reopen that one i think i think it's a good spot you know we just got to tidy up the area a little bit but uh yeah dario was not much help in that situation he he had very short arms as Scotsman's do, and trying to find his wallet, and he wasn't giving anything up, man. It was a pretty interesting situation to be in.
1: Yeah, we we should let people know uh, that that was a little kerfuffle that the both of you were involved in a late night, uh, shall we say, robbery attempt. And yeah, it
3: was uh, no, it was not an attempt. It was a straight yeah, up robbery. Well, <laughs> no, he got your
1: wallet. He got your wallet, but old Dario, you know, alligator arms. Yeah, yeah. you know, he put he put, he he came up with every excuse possible it didn't work yeah, yeah. Scott let's, to... you, you, Sorry, you're talking about the you know this the testing schedule coming up at Indy et etc uh, it looked to me that in the beginning um, you guys were ahead of the curve in adapting to the aero screen was that the case
3: I don't know I
1: think I think for the last
3: few years we've been pretty light on personnel you know it's been uh, pretty pretty tough especially on the engineering side you know we had you know race engineers going to shake rig tests or wind tunnel tests Mm. you know the day after a race and there just wasn't a lot uh, you know don't get me wrong we were still doing extremely well winning races winning championships but you know there was definitely room for improvement I think and and there's just so much data these days and there's not really that much on track testing so it's it's uh, it's all about the programs that you have outside of going to the races, and and this year, you know, with uh, consuming, I think, the Ford GT program and all those personnel going to three cars, enabling us to, you know, hire some more people, uh, some different engineers, Um, you know, there's a lot of changes on the nine car stand this year, you know, with with engineers and and people moving around. and it was nice to have a different perspective. I think you know you kind of get stuck in an ecosystem. It's like if you're you know in in an Apple ecosystem or an Android or you know it, it. It's nice to have someone kind of cross over and say, well, why do you do it this way? And and that's definitely how it played out this year. But uh, I think we just added a lot of depth to the team. You know, it was uh, they were very they were very good at through the position of not knowing when we we're going back to 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 work or where we were going back to race you know they've worked extremely hard and making sure that we covered you know kind of all the areas but I think our our qualifying effort this year for for all three of us was pretty poor you know considering last year I think I had the best average for for the whole season out of all the drivers and then and then we kind of sucked this year so we um definitely have a little bit of work I think to try and figure out why our single or two lap pace is just not really coming because we're you know extremely strong in the races it's just trying to get those last couple of 10s, uh, which you know, is going to drop you six, eight places on the grid now. It's, it's so tight.
2: You know, I, I, was, I was pumped you winning another championship, but really my heart went to Mike Cannon. He was uh, yeah. my, race, yeah. my race engineer when I was at Forsyth and, and able to get me my first career win in Champ Car, and we went on to, to make a tear there. Um, you know, What's it like working with Mike? He was crazy back then, so I don't know if he's calmed <laughs> down then. But, I mean, what, what's it mean to have Mike Cannon – Uh, come aboard and and get his first ever championship?
3: Well, he's still extremely crazy. (laughs) Um, I like that he just doesn't he doesn't, it's almost like he doesn't have a filter. Like, in some of the things that come out, you're like, wow, what is, I don't know where this is going. But then also, he's not shy. So, like, he, you know, I think the hardest part sometimes when you're on the same stand with, you know, Chip or Mike Hull, you know, people are not so willing to speak up. But Cannon just goes, (laughs) <laughs> right for it man and and uh it's it's pretty funny but uh i you know i i really enjoyed him you know uh it was definitely i think a, a really stressful year for him it was cool to to start the right way and get the first picture at texas you know i, I he was so pumped you know and and uh obviously then we got onto a little bit of a roll, but you know uh, i was just so excited to see you know, his emotions, I think, throughout the year, because, man, he stresses too. Like, I don't know if he sleeps much on race weeks. Like, you you (laughs) see him come in, and then, you know, I remember Iowa, he's sitting in his chair, and he's sleeping, you know, before the race. I'm like, you know, he'll text you at, like, two in the morning or three in the morning. But, um, no, he's a a character, and and I've really enjoyed uh, working with him.
2: So well, I have last question for Jack, you, uh, Jack, before that quick, quick story about Mike Cannon. So I win my first race at Portland. I'm, I was so used to being with the team that even if we won, we had to debrief for like two hours after. So yeah. I get done with all the stuff. <laughs> I come back, trailers locked. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, my stuff's in there. How, where is everybody? I'm asking around. Finally, truck driver comes back and said, Hey, where's Cannon? And where's my guys? They're like, like, dude, they're at the, the Red Bull hospitality they come back Mike has drawn stuff that I can't say on the show all over his shirt it's a white shirt I'm like hey Mike do we need to talk about anything he's like what do we need to talk about we won we won the dang race I'll see you next week
3: that was it (laughs) (laughs) he is good like that man I like he definitely enjoys the moment which is what I think a lot of us miss out on so you know it's great to have him around He's he's a good guy
1: uh we'd be remiss and final question to you Dixie is uh You have a new teammate at least, albeit part-time, coming on board, and he has one championship more than you. Uh, Jimmy Johnson moving over, and uh, uh, Chip Ganassi Racing uh, uh, made the announcement that Carvana is going to partner to uh, be the primary sponsor. Uh, How do do you think the addition of JJ is going to alter the team dynamic at Chip Ganassi Racing?
4: Uh, he, he's, he's intense, man. I mean, I've been friends with Jimmy <laughs>
3: for, for a few years, uh, always been a big fan and, and loved watching, you know, NASCAR for one and, and then him, uh, racing and, and, you know, his success is, is crazy. Um, but he's full on, man. Like even we haven't even done a test together yet. Uh, you know, I went and watched him, uh, run at, uh, Indianapolis road course when he did that first run on the car. Uh, but just, you know, he, he, he tries to cover everything, you know, he's changing his whole training regime to, you Know doing uh, track walks with Daru, you know, weeks before we even go to that track, to you know, trying to come into town to be on you know the HPD sim. Um, you know, he he you can see why you know he's been so successful. He definitely has uh, a keen eye for, for attention to detail and trying to cover all bases, but it's uh, it's a big mountain, man. I think it's such a big difference in discipline. I think you know, the easy the easy crossover, right, would have been him coming and doing the ovals, you know, Okay, right. that kind of makes sense, but. Um, he's definitely picked the hardest position to, to come in. And especially nowadays, you know, really limited track time, uh, one for testing, but also when you get to the races, you know, I hope they kind of change the format. They were talking about it. all road courses next year will just be two-day events. That means you're only gonna get one practice and then straight into qualify, which man, I, w- I wouldn't want to be a rookie or someone like him coming across from a, from another discipline. But um, yeah, I'm I'm pumped for him. It's it's fantastic. Uh, to see, you know, a partner like Carvana coming in, it's it's huge for our sport. Uh, him alone coming to the NTT Indy Car Series is massive. And I uh, just hope it goes smooth. And I'm, I'm looking forward to working with him, man.
1: Well, listen, we're, we're so pleased that you decided to join us here. And uh, we both congratulate you on 2020. And, uh, hey, number seven on your way when we reconvene at St. Pete. Scott Dixon, thanks so much for joining us here on Brick by Brick.
3: Thank you, guys. Pleasure,
1: man. We're talking about rookies, AJ. Up next, the Rookie of the Year in the 2020 IndyCar campaign. Rena's BK, front and
0: center, after
1: you listen to these messages.
0: It's Brick by Brick with AJ Allmendinger and Jack Arute on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211 and the SiriusXM app. Welcome back to the only weekly NTT IndyCar Series talk show on Sirius XM. This is Brick by Brick.
1: Joining us now, all he had to do, AJ, was start the Firestone Grand Prix at St. Petersburg. Renis Viquet, the NTT IndyCar Series Rookie of the Year. First of all, Renis, congratulations on the honor. Second of all, when that engine fired on your car from Ed Carpenter Racing and you pulled around on the pace laps and realized hey i just won rookie of the year
4: yeah yeah it's crazy uh once it's fired up once i got the green i was super happy but uh yeah got to focus and make the best of the whole race so very happy with uh being rookie of the year yeah you're only a rookie one time so it's pretty cool to get it <laughs> in that one year so uh, now I'm just looking forward to, uh, to progress next year and, uh, yeah, do even better than this year.
2: Renis, I mean, congratulations on that. I, I was fortunate enough that I had the honor back in Champ Car to be Rookie of the Year. It's a, it's a special award to have because, you say, as you say, you only get one attempt at it. So we've talked about it all season. I mean, it's been such a strange year. You expected to start the season at St. Pete. You had to start it at Texas, of all places, which I would never want to do in my career have to do my first race in texas (laughs) so did the season go as as you thought as it got going was it tougher was it more challenging than you expected or was it everything that you expected and and just uh learn as you went obviously
4: i kind of underestimated all the new things i had to learn so yeah texas was a big lesson for me but then from then on uh yeah i just made sure i learned as much as possible every race and um yeah, I think after the 500s, from then on, it just went pretty well. And uh, I had good races, a few top fives, my first podium, first pole position in Harvest GP. So um, it progressed way better than I expected. So uh, I'm very happy with how much it got better throughout the season. Uh,
1: you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, the fact that you progressed through the season, but I, I, I wonder if you could describe what your style of driving evolved into in your first season?
4: Um, well, first, coming from the road to Indy, um, the racing isn't as close as IndyCar, and there is a little bit more room for uh, for mistakes. So um, once you make a mistake, maybe two guys pass you, and IndyCar is probably the whole field. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I got a little more smart while driving. I thought a little more about what moves I I was going to make and um, really finishing a race was super important this year. And yeah, that's just what I learned. Don't, don't be crazy. Don't be a teenager in my head, but um, yeah, just make sure I finish and get all those points I can get.
2: Renus, you announced that you'll be back with Ed Carpenter racing next year uh so congrats on that you know looking to the off season and and heading into next year you know where are the biggest areas you feel like you need to work on as a driver as a race team and uh you know what were your strengths that you can really kind of build off of and and those weaknesses that you really need to uh to make better going into 2021
4: um well I think um kind of in and out laps pit stops that's a few things I can improve um of course we had Not so much practice. Pitch stops were new for me this year. But I felt like every pitch stop, there was still a little bit left. So, um, yeah, I think uh, in the offseason, we can really improve that as a whole team. You know, I can drive better into the box. And, uh, you know, everything will be better. And I think my strong points of the season was just, um, yeah, my aggressiveness while driving. You know, my moves, I think – I've made a few moves. I don't know how I did them, but <laughs> they've uh, they have given me a lot of points. So uh, I'm very happy that I, that I could do that. And I think next year, I will try to be as fearless as this year.
1: You know, Renis, you, you can always slow a guy down, right? <laughs> and I think that was the case with you. Get him to think. Uh, it's far harder to kick a guy in the butt and get him to go faster, which leads me to where you started and with your car owner and what did ed carpenter bring uh throughout the season to your education
4: um well of course um he had a he had a good opinion after texas and um yeah he got a little angry there but uh it it shaped me and like throughout the season well ed is a man of few words um but a fist bump can do a lot. Uh, it, it it tells many words, Fred. So, um, you know, coming out of the car at the 500, uh, qualifying, he was the first guy into the cockpit that gave me a fist bump. So, um, you know, he's, he seems very happy throughout the season. He was very happy to resign me for 2021. So, um, yeah, just very nice to, uh, to stay with that. And I think, uh, we're both equally happy to, uh, to continue with each other.
2: You know, you, you talk about Texas a little bit and, and, you know, as said at the start of this, I mean, I, it, what you had to do there is a rookie going to Texas. Just, I mean, it's a place that I've raced in cup. I tested getting ready for the D 500. I remember thinking, Oh my goodness, how do they go around this place side by side? Like it's <laughs> insane. So I mean, what was your take on, on really the oval experience in the IndyCar series? Because there's so many close cars, uh, you go to different ovals as you go to Texas and Indy, and then you go to a place like Iowa. Uh, I mean, what, what did you think of the oval racing and, and, uh, how it progressed for yourself through, through the year? I think oval racing is awesome. Yeah. It's, uh,
4: coming from Europe, you don't really grow up with, you know, ovals, People say it's easy, so you think it's easy until you do it. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, you know, if you have a good car and qualifying, it might feel pretty comfortable until you do 220 miles an hour next to each other. So, um, yeah, it's super tough. Um, it's really, uh, it's like doing chess at 240 miles an hour. And you cannot make any mistakes. And uh, yeah, I love it. Um, of course, Texas wasn't good for me but i've had a i've had a good race there and i actually enjoyed the laps i did and uh, i felt like um if i could have finished the race without making those mistakes it would have been a pretty good result too so yeah iowa was a whole different oval i think the most fun race i've driven all year so um yeah bummer that's not on the season on the schedule for next year but yeah i love ovals and i think um Throughout the whole year, Um, I've kind of started pretty bad in Texas, but then at Indianapolis and everything went pretty well.
1: Continuing our uh, brick by brick special presentation of a celebration of the NTT IndyCar series, visiting with Renus VK, the 2020 uh, Indy Rookie of the Year. Renus, you alluded to the, you know, getting used to running you know, inches apart at 230, 240 miles an hour. Is there a level of awareness that, oh my God, I'm going so damn fast.
4: Mm, It doesn't feel fast enough ever. Yeah. You only want to get faster. So at one point you, your brain starts thinking at those speeds and it just feels like normal until, well, you trim out a little more and you go even faster. So, um, no, it never really feels fast enough. You always always want to go faster.
2: Jack, it's not the speed that's the problem. It's the stopping. Uh, that's what I, <laughs> I that's that's the problem that I faced when you stop quickly, then you realize how fast you are going. Yeah. yeah. That, exactly. That's when everything yeah. starts to hurt. It's not the speed, it's the stopping that really hurts you. But uh I mean, what what are we uh three days now that the season's ended, Rita? So looking at next year. What are the goals? I mean, already, I'm sure, because uh, at your age, and heck, I do it now, I mean, immediately your mind goes to, okay, what are my goals next year? What, what do I really want to get out of the season?
4: Um, my goals for next year are quite simple. Uh, just do better than I did this year. So make sure this learning curve just progresses and stays as steep as it is now. So uh, I think results will come throughout the season if I just keep doing my thing and keep learning, keep getting better
1: attitude and a great way to look forward to uh, your sophomore season in IndyCar competition. Appreciate you joining us. And uh, you know, the great thing, as you said, rookie of the year comes only once in your career, you grabbed it and now you can move on. Renis PK. Thanks so much.
4: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: So uh, AJ that pretty much brings us to a close of uh, our championship celebration. And uh, I found it fascinating, both, visiting with renas just then and even more so our conversation with scott dixon to me i think he was this as he said was probably one of the most stressful campaigns and yet he alluded to going down with uh, jpm to uh, a tiebreaker i'm sorry i think this guy absolutely is right up there with jimmy johnson Johnson coming from the NASCAR side, but uh, you know Scott has, uh, I think, um, redefined what it takes to win a championship. What say you?
2: I've said this before, and I'll and I'll continually say it that Jimmy Johnson has seven championships. Scott Dixon now has six championships, and yet they are still, to me, some of the most underrated drivers of all time. And why is that? Well, they're not flashy. They're not controversial. They go out there and they just get the job done. Sometimes they do it in ways as, as Scott Dixon did, where he lights the season on fire early. Mm. He wins, you know, how three in a row, and he wins four out of five, and he's dominating, and Jimmy's done the same thing. Well, then you get into the dog days of the season where it just doesn't seem like it's going right. Like, why? I mean, and that's, I mean, talk about really Scott Dixon from midseason on. I mean, if you add his points up, I don't have it here, but I'm sure if you add his points up, I mean, they're probably only what the eighth or ninth highest point total from basically after the, the last win that he had, or really after the Indy 500, I would say after that, it seemed like it really just, they struggled a bit, but what champions do is they find a way to get it done. And he had a luxury. He talked about it. He had a 117 point lead at yeah. one point. <laughs> he had a luxury, He earned that luxury. They earned that by winning all those races and running up front early. So, yeah, at the end, they were stumbling a little bit, trying to hang on, clawing. Joseph Newgarden was coming. But all you have to do is have, well, in Scott Dixon's case, the same amount of points as as the the second-place guy as he did with JPM. But, yeah, all you have to do is have enough points to get the championship, and that's what he's done. And and Jimmy Johnson has done it so many times as well. So they are still underrated because – I think we just take their greatness and sometimes we just say, okay, yeah, that's them. Like they, th- that we're mm-hmm. used to that. And Scott Dixon is amazing and there's no signs of him slowing down. No, right. So no. like, there's no reason to think he can't win seven, eight, eight, nine. nine. Yeah. 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 But it's hard to do. So that's, as you can see, just talking to him, you, you don't take that for granted. You celebrate, you enjoy it because you don't know if you're going to get another one, but I'm not going to bet against it.
1: Uh, Now, let's juxtapose that champion's attitude with the young man that we just visited with. Uh, I was I was very impressed with the way that he described to us the season and setting simplistic goals for 2021 is his sophomore campaign is a to continue the learning curve and b not make the mistakes that he may have made this season.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's really what it comes down to, right? As a young driver, you're going to make mistakes, especially when you're as fast as Renus VK. I love what you said there, the analogy. You can slow them down. Yeah. Yeah, just, all right, back it down a little bit. It's really, really hard to speed somebody up. It's very rare that you see somebody that's at some sort of speed all of a sudden take that step up to being faster. It's hard to do. So, yes, the biggest thing is make the mistakes, but learn from them and don't make them again. And I really feel like we saw that in Renus VK throughout the course of the year, that you know, early it was a little bit of a rocky start, but the signs of a great driver, young driver, don't make those mistakes again. And he continually got better, finally got his first podium and pole at Indy. Uh, Three top fives, five top tens. That's what you build off of right there, is you build off of those stats and say, okay, when I come back next year, I want to double the top fives, six of them. 10 top 10s, and I want to be inside the top 10 points, I think you really can do it.
1: You know, we would be remiss, too, as we reflect back. This was supposed to be the season that would debut the ownership team of Roger Penske, the captain. Uh, And it was, but I can't think of anybody that could have fashioned, survived, and adjusted to this COVID-19 pandemic any better than Roger Mark Miles, Jay Fry, and at Indy, Doug Bowles. They deserve a tip of the cap.
2: Well, we did see the ownership team take over. Yeah. Maybe not in the way we originally thought, but the job that that everybody did from start to finish was an amazing job that, I've said it a lot on this show, I don't, I don't ever want to step on toes going back, but I don't know without Roger Penske and his leadership group if we're talking about the great finish that we just had at St. Pete and the championship that we just ended. Cause I don't know if we actually have a championship. So maybe not the way that we thought the new ownership team, Roger Penske would be on display, but to me, probably a hundred times better than we ever could imagine, because this was a very tough, strange season with the pandemic. And we had to do have things done to be able to make the season go on and I think truly maybe these teams actually, some of these teams don't survive without Rogers taking over, still feeding them money during the pandemic when they're just sitting there, that winter circle program that you talked about, he was paying that out. We weren't racing. They were paying that out. So phenomenal job that they've done.
1: Well, and likewise partner, phenomenal job that you've done all season long. I understand that you get, you know, you have to get a little R and R and you have to leave now and again, but, uh, Uh, It's been fun, as it always is, getting your insight, and do appreciate that. And as you alluded to, yes, it's only been a handful of days since we concluded the 2020 season, but the countdown, folks, has already begun to 2021. Quick reminder, if you missed any of uh, our shows or some really great interviews like the one with Scott Dixon tonight or Renus VK, Ah, uh, you can go back and uh, re-listen to them by using your SiriusXM app or going to Pandora. Our uh, executive producer of SiriusXM Sports is Andy King. Nate Lee produces Brick by Brick. Quick reminder: don't go anywhere because coming up next, Kumasado will visit with us, and we will relive his second Indianapolis 500 victory just uh, what, a what couple of months ago right here on IndyCar Classics. Uh, Stay safe everyone, but more importantly look out for each other and uh, join us again in the next episode of Brick by Brick.